0: Listening to Burn in Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. What is up everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Burn and Return. I'm going to be your host. My name is Matt Martin and joined alongside me here we have Mr. Ryan DeMay and Mr. Ray Ito themselves. Gentlemen, how are you doing on this fine, fine, glorious
1: evening?
2: Well, you know, I'm trying to compose myself here because of all the uh, random-ass stuff that we were talking about in the pre-show, and I don't want the folks (laughs) that watch this on YouTube or listen to the podcast later on that aren't Patreon members to wonder why are these guys seem like they're on drugs, which we're not. There's nobody here that's on the influence of anything right now. However, it took me a minute to come back down. So, Ray, hopefully you're centered, right? You're having a zen-like moment. And we could proceed here with, with this evening.
3: Absolutely. I mean, nobody uh crashed into me at 30 miles per hour, so I think I'm pretty well composed today.
0: <laughs> By the way, well, Ray, if... have you have you seen the video that uh that one guy found on the internet somewhere?
3: Yeah. Isn't that, that shitty? That was that unbelievable. Shitty? But
0: I have to say, your your whole physical structure and demeanor as you were walking back to the to the car that hit you was everything i needed to see the you could you could feel the disgust emanating from you as with every step and you had your hand on your side in just the most perfect position of just All right. it was it was beautiful right it was absolutely beautiful i hate it happened to you but th- that moment no, captured I, so much I,
3: no i i was honestly Worried for that person because my first impression, and this is just me being me, I thought the dude had a heart attack and that's why he was unable to stop and he just crashed into me at high speed. I thought he had a heart attack or a stroke and that's how come he lost control of his vehicle. But come to find out, no, just somebody doing something absolutely stupid. Mm. I hate it. Absolutely. Damn stupid, I mean, because I'm, yeah, I'm I'm walking up to that car, I'm thinking, oh boy, I hope I don't find a guy that's like, you know, clutching his chest or, you know, convulsing or something, no, it's a guy that is just, uh, he's doing something stupid and now it's caught up to him, shit. Hey, (laughs) what today I learned
2: (laughs) If you want Ray to give you mouth-to-mouth, it's going to be extra. It's going to cost you extra.
0: Speaking of mouth-to-mouth, we are going to be giving mouth-to-mouth live and in-person on October 21st in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, For those of you that were awesome enough to be able to afford us the opportunity to do this, we want to thank each and every one of you because it's going to be a ton of fun. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we are having a live show at Louisville, Kentucky in a... Top secret location, just to make sure none of it gets leaked out beforehand. Uh, but it is it is going to be an off-radar, no recording, live show at the GIE. The three of us, in-person, touchable, minus Ray. Ray will be there via coconut Wi-Fi, uh, which is good enough for all intents and purposes. And, uh, and we are so excited about it. So for everybody that bought a ticket, hey, Matt. And is, is yes. Matt, I definitely yes.
2: ordered a cardboard cutout for Ray so we've got that
4: coming
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we had, we had ray measure himself to the millimeter so it's actually two size right so Three one to he, one he ratio will be
0: touchable he will be touchable there you can lick his face in all the other strange things we're just gonna wheel the monitor like into the face hole
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, are we still doing that heck yeah uh, well, that's gonna be awesome yes so I like it
0: uh for everybody that's that supported us, to be able to do that. Thank you so much. We're not doing it to make money. It's a, it is definitely a nonprofit thing. Uh, but we wanted to uh we wanted to be able to do this. We wanted to be able to provide some in person entertainment, and I think that is just going to be an absolute wild time with wild ass stories that we can talk about for days. And uh and that to me is what makes it all worthwhile, right? Uh, beyond that, gentlemen, let us jump into. The headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just the rush. Coming out of Oregon State, we have some groundbreaking research here on controlling microdochium patch with non-traditional fungicides. And this is going to be Clint Maddox. And pay attention because he's also going to be coming up later in the show as well. Uh, Brian McDonald, Emily Braithwaite. Did I say that right? Braithwaite. Braithwaite. And Alec Kowalewski. Kowala- Kowalewski? Uh, I don't know how to say Kowalski. that. Kowalski. I, sh- I yeah. struggle with Polish names. It, just, it gets real confusing for my rash-ass brain. Uh, And this is out of Oregon State University. Go beavers. Key takeaways. Microdokium patch can be suppressed using a rotation of mineral oil, foss acid, and elemental sulfur to achieve control that is equivalent to traditional fungicides. Applying iron uh, sulfate heptahydrate tank mix with phos acid every two weeks leads to thinning of annual bluegrass putting greens. However, this tank mix may be a viable option for other areas of the golf course, such as tees and fairways, or where pesticide restrictions may occur. It is recommended to apply no more than a pound and a half elemental sulfur per thousand square feet per year on annual bluegrass putting greens. I guess that was also unpacked during this uh, because of an increased risk of anthracnose in the summer. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And I've got to say, if there's one thing that I really appreciate about this push for uh, uh, natural alternatives to things is is revisiting and rehashing out the uh, 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 potential of the tools that we are currently using. Now, I, I got to say, uh, mineral oil isn't necessarily uh, on the, the top of everybody's toolbox of things they're spraying, right? Uh, I can't say I ever kept mineral oil in my uh, in my tank, you know, just for, for grins and giggles or whatever. Well, I guess you could say like a highly refined mineral oil for uh, like a hort oil or something, you know, there's been, I've kept that in a tank from time to time. Uh, but here, you know, we're seeing some interesting advocacy out of out of a combination of that and spraying phosphorus acid, which is a precursor chemical to phosphite. Uh, this is not phosphoric acid, which is your typical precursor to fertilizer phosphorus. This is phosphorus acid and elemental sul- uh, elemental sulfur and uh, ferrous sulfate. Interesting, interesting, and pretty impressive. I didn't dive. I I, I read through this and I'm going to have to read it like six times to uh, uh, make sense of all of it
1: because it goes in a pretty great deep depth uh, here. But I don't know. Gentlemen, what are your takeaways from it? Okay, Go for it, Ray. You know
2: you, know you want to. I can see it.
3: You know, you know, here's my thought on it. To me, this is like a butt ton of applications. Uh, you know, to do the same thing. This is like a lot of applications to accomplish the same thing, and this is uh I guess the pitfalls of non uh you know the non-modern, non-traditional uh fungicides because sulfur goes back centuries, uh mm-hmm. iron sulfate goes back centuries and Port oil or refined petroleum, mineral oil, goes back to at least the seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. So this is all old stuff. And uh, speaking to that, uh, I I literally come from a time when there were no really good systemic, long-lasting fungicides because in the early nineteen nineties, I didn't really have. Azoxystrobin or propiconazole, and even what was available back then, benlate. Benlate was not known for being particularly long lasting, so it was a kind of a hit and run kind of a thing. It would it would be there, but then you don't get twenty eight days of control out of it. You know, you, you remember, remember when Banner Dr. Max 14.
0: came on the market, and it, it was just I remember Banner Max just. The Cadillac, right? I mean, it was held in mm. such high esteem, a, a price tag to 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 follow suit, and I mean, it was it was the pinnacle of what you could apply in terms of fungicide, right? It was actually it was no Banner Max, you know,
3: you know what, you know what the uh, the heavy hitter was, but uh, it came, but it was one of those high risk, high reward type applications. What's that? Ailatone. Balaton. Balaton. Uh, Yeah. Balaton was a a great one too. Yeah, because yeah, because if I had to compare Balaton versus uh, Propiconazole, what I get out of Balaton is extremely long residual activity, especially when you've gone into the higher rate, rate ranges, but you also run the risk of stunting your turf. For a prolonged period of time as well
0: well my point of bringing that up was you know that you know I, at the time right and and at least for me in lawn care you know banner max was that was the apex of of what you could do in terms of uh, fungicides right now banner or propiconazole is just sprayed so willy-nilly without a second thought it's it's As cheap as they come in terms of cost per application, cost per thousand, and there are people out there that are like, "Well, it's October fifteenth. I know I'm out of my disease window, but I got a little bit left. I'm just going to go ahead and put it in the tank, get it down in case I don't know maybe some rust or something happens. I don't know. Better safe (laughs) than sorry." And I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that. Maybe not necessarily on the pro side of things, but especially in the uh, in the in the homeowner circuit, right? I mean, it's just the number of emails I get to the grass factor right now, people asking like, Hey, my seed I've, I've cut it three times. Now, should I go ahead and start applying fungicide to it? I'm like, what, why would you be? Why? doing? Where are you? I'm in upstate New York. I'm like, what? No, absolutely not. Should you not be doing that? Or if it's, if it's not that it's, it's a, 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 is it safe to apply bifenthrin? And my, my point is, is that, if we could still hold uh fertilizers in high esteem high re- uh, fungicides in high esteem high regard and uh, revert back to some of these types of management practices that are going to have less impact and uh, less impact on the efficacy of what is our gold standard in terms of fungicides right get people off of the the gold standard save those for gold standard required situations and allow people to. F around and find out with uh with you know, phos acid, elemental sulfur, fair sulfate,
1: kind of sort of thing.
3: You see you see where Actually, I'm going with that? I see where you're going. that And you know, to this day, I lament the loss of MancoZib and Thyram, because those were two extremely effective contact fungicides, multi-site contact fungicides to where My go-to, if I just had mild rust or mild leaf spot or mild powdery mildew, is I'd go hit it with eight ounces of, you know, mancozib per 1,000 square foot. And I consider that an application that is extremely low risk as far as fungicide resistant.
1: I use a lot
2: of thioram on the golf course, Ray. A lot. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Great right uh, on Lee's because, spot. Yeah. Because going, I'm going to show my age because I still remember the DuPont Tersen. Mm. Tersen WP. And Ryan, the ideal mix, if you do actually have severe disease pressure, was Tersen WP plus Tersen 1991.
2: Oh yeah, the old night Chipco nineteen ninety one.
3: No, that That was a precursor was, to No 1991 That was a precursor was to Bentley, uh, That was that was turf label Benley <laughs> Yeah.
1: Y'all are old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
3: I'm old. <laughs>
2: there's yeah. There's a there's a lot of stuff floating around the uh the old chem barn back when I started in ninety six, Matt. Let me tell you what. A lot of a lot of inventory to use up um, you know overall I, I, this, this is this the kind of stuff that uh, they're pumping out I mean I think Oregon State's a strong program now in terms of research and we'll talk a little bit more about them here later in the show but you know to the extent that there is you know and they mentioned it here in the article right that they're especially out there right they're running into extreme resistance issues on you know some of you know the gold standards are not necessarily gold standards but at least old standbys right that were really really mm-hmm. effective uh, on this pathogen and it's certainly something where you know they have probably some of the higher um pressure you know winter long pressure fall through winter uh if anywhere in the country but certainly their their climate mimics others right where you know you talk about um Europe and the u k and things like that where very limited right in the types of products that they have available to them and so that's what they're trying to investigate is that you know they're the reach of what this research will you know hopefully bear out extends far beyond just you know corvallis oregon right this is far reaching and it hopefully hopefully you know shows that um we still have some tools in the arsenal to what matt's saying you know that we can rotate through and work through i think the Civitas and the Horde oil you know there, it definitely has a place in this particular setting in this pathogen uh I've seen it work very well in that case um and the phosphorus acid i mean we, Matt did a whole video on that, and we could get we can get into this all day long, but you know with both of those products right that there is some evidence some evidence to our truth that um There is some SAR, there is some some systemic acquired resistance, right? And uh, some plant defense activators, right? Some elicitors that come into play there. So whether they'll figure that out and tease that out through the study and and be able to figure it out, who knows? But good to see people trying something different, right? Not just taking the old protocol from the big chemical companies, right, Ray? And just sticking it out there and throwing it down. So. so, you're telling me yeah. I
0: should put azoxystrobin on my Pythium? Is that, is that what I'm picking up? What you're <laughs> in I'm just kidding. I'm just links kidding. in the description below. So, links in the yes, description. Yes, please. Below. That's,
2: that's, that's facetious, sarcasm alert. Yeah.
0: Do not apply azoxystrobin yeah. to your Pythium and expect anything to come out of it.
2: Uh, I've got some really, really
0: uplifting news here, gentlemen. Hot ash prices and urea prices. Effort. All fertilizer prices are on a significant uptrend.
4: Two uh, <laughs> fertilizers
0: saw significant price increases in the third week of September of 2021. A number of other fertilizer prices also moved higher, although they didn't meet the five percent threshold, which DTN considers significant. Potash was 10 percent higher than last month. The fertilizer had an average price of 6.25 a ton. Urea was five percent more expensive than the prior year. The nitrogen fertilizer had an average price of 5.85 a ton the average retail price for map was 4% more expensive than last month at 786 a ton. Now, you may be seeing these prices and think, "Oh, that's not too bad. That's 585 a ton. You know, that's $12 the uh $13 14 a bag of of urea." Well, hang on. This is if you have a commodity contract where you're buying this in 100-ton blocks and that doesn't include the port fee, the dock fee, logistics to where it's going or packaging, right? So, realistically, uh between the time it touches the trader's hands, the port fee, dock fee, packaging, all that fun stuff, you can add oh an easy 400 dollars a ton to this. So if you are buying in bulk as uh as a regular uh, uh applicator that's going to be buying truckloads of fertilizer at a time, chances are Your urea prices are going to be somewhere up around $985 a ton. That's almost $25 a bag. And that is where, gentlemen, we're starting to creep up closer and closer ever so slightly to the inanity that was uh, the 2008-2009 fertilizer price crash, I will call it. And by crash, I mean total explosion. I'll give you another example. I had somebody message me the other day. And uh, I will read this and protect his identity. And he said uh, his quote on what used to be a $10 bag of fertilizer last year uh, is $15 today. And he's being quoted $25 buying it this upcoming spring. And this is someone who deals in uh, truckloads per round, uh, is now being quoted from what used to be $10, $25 a bag. Uh, so this is someone who's using in excess of a hundred tons a season, big numbers guy, big lawn care company, and uh, even they are not protected. So, holy shit think, for the lawn care folks out I think,
3: there. You no, know, I think the bigger guys, because their margins and their uh, their profit margin is so low to begin with. I think the uh, the price increases hurt them the most because uh oh yeah you know because here's what i've done uh believe it or not i've kind of grandfathered in some people that i've worked for for years and that i'm not going to raise prices on them but as of 2020 any any new work uh I started pricing at 2020 prices. And to give you the idea, the 2020 prices are literally a 30% increase over my pre-2020 prices.
1: Yeah, it's uh we're in a a weird
0: time, um, and I'm interested to see because a lot of the, the large lawn care companies play into uh, a lot of their price structure, economy of scale, right? Um, where mm-hmm. it's okay to operate at a twenty twenty five percent margin because uh you know where you may be bringing then bringing this in across. Uh, five thousand customers in lieu of requiring a seventy or eighty percent margin across uh, uh two hundred customers, right? Uh, in in order to make enough money to survive. So, um, this is yeah, exactly. The large guys that are playing economy of scale are in for it right now.
2: Yeah, because you can only artificially hold those prices so low for so long, right? Like I'm, you know, I've had a bunch of people call me in the last oh month or so you know hearing about this stuff and and asking hey man like i've got these contracts right as a sub where i'm i'm only able to get 120 to 140 bucks an acre including my labor right and you know you do the math on that like it's just it's not even not even not sustainable right it is in the basement in terms of not only just profitability, but you you staying in business, right? So, um, I think a lot of what we're going to see is now setting expectations, right? Because, you know, you start talking about, if we're just talking about lawn care for right now, um, is setting expectations now that 2022 is going to be a lot different than any year that we've experienced, right? In terms of prepping your customers for what would be probably a pretty substantial. Uh, price increase and so with that being said is like well what can i do right what can i do to control that and i think a lot of our content coming into the first of the year is probably going to center around that like what we did last year in the early spring with you know running soil tests and figuring stuff out it is in your absolute best interest right to start kind of parsing out those accounts of good better best right and maybe trying to make a little bit more detailed of a uh, of these buckets to put them in of what kind of fer- you know fertility tr- program you're going to put these things under. And when I talk about good, better, best, I'm saying that the best lawns you might be able to scale back on a little bit, right? And some of the worst lawns, you better be darn sure what you're putting down is going to be not only the most effective but the most in terms of turf performance, but cost effective too, right? So you're gonna separate the men from the boys, I think, here real quick, gentlemen.
0: Well, with that, we've got to continue moving on here, but we've still got more headlines to jump into because it's just too hot of topics to overlook.
4: Uh mm.
0: the EPA stopped short of promising Dicamba use in twenty twenty two. Administrator Reagan says EPA is evaluating the new dicamba labeling requirements implemented in 2020. As reports of dicamba incidences continue into the 2021 growing season, the EPA and uh, Administrator Michael Reagan says the EPA is extremely focused, extremely concerned about reports of new dicamba incidences and indicated further changes for growers could be coming in the 2022 growing season if the analysis warrants adjustments. Growers are currently planning for the 2022 season, and we expect dicamba-tolerant soybeans and cotton to remain a significant part of the total soybean and cotton acres planted. Dicamba-tolerant acres totaled between 50 and 60 million acres in 2021, with additional acreage anticipated next year. We're still receiving and analyzing new incident information and working very closely with state regulators to understand the conditions on the ground. The EPA is extremely concerned about these reports and has taken steps to better understand the nature and the severity of these incidents in order to assess the sufficiency of mitigation in the 2020 decision and, if necessary, take appropriate regulatory action. Uh, And it goes on, one of the later quotes here I will close this out with. It says, I think we can all agree here at the NASDA that we'd much rather have crop technology go through proper regulatory protocols than be challenged in court. We need to make sure that we work with you and not let juries decide what sort of crop technology for American farmers wins. I thought that was the most level-headed statement about the whole thing, because when you are reliant upon a jury of your peers to determine your uh, your crop production technology, you run into situations a la glyphosate. Uh, where a jury of peers is handing out stroking checks for billions of dollars right now.
2: It's, it, you know, w- with respect to Dicambo, right? You know, I the the incidence of what has taken place in the last few years, right, Is is it alarming? Yeah. Is it something that rather than just saying no that uh, we need to get a better handle on best management practices how how this is occurring right all the whys and truly understand it right I think this is the same thing where like like what you said I thought it was a great point in the article about the jury piece where we move so quick on glyphosate and so far against what the science told us that you know we we're, we've passed the point in overturn like there is no coming back. I don't I don't see it. And it's getting awful close here with Dicamba, right? Don't you think?
3: I, I I think so. And the problem with dicamba use in crops is that the dicamba use is literally happening when the crop cycles of susceptible nearby crops are such that those susceptible crops are at a vulnerable stage because previously guess what the most common use of dicamba was pre-dicamba tolerant soybeans and cotton most frequent use was for early spring or late fall weed control on unplanted or, or fallow land that is not in crop i mean to spray this over the top of you know an emerged crop is i consider that actually a high risk uh you know application and to be honest with you guys i literally had misgivings from the outset regarding glyphosate tolerant crops uh 2,4 2,4 D tolerant crops and diCamba tolerant crops. I had severe misgivings. And the re- the reason for my misgivings were this exact issue of the off-target effects on nearby non
1: tolerant crops. You know, I just
3: I just I just thought, who, what could possibly go wrong? If you're spraying a thousand acres with clarity, which is a four pound per gallon dicamba formulation over a thousand acres. And here's how they're applying this, Matt. Guess what your typical spray volume is on large acreage?
1: Uh eight four
3: to eight gallons an acre. Yep. 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 I mean, Four to eight gallons per acre. So you know what that means uh, in practical terms? Uh,
0: You've you're got effectively sp- ripping concentrate.
3: <laughs> yeah, because imagine running your your boom rig at like 10 to 15 miles per hour, and your T-jet nozzle on there is sized to about 0. 0.3. Was a 0.3 or 0. 0.2 orifice? Okay, that's how you get that five gallon per acre application rate and talk about anything goes wrong. The wind shifts. Oh, neighbor Jim's, uh, orchard is just smoked. Uh, or the, if you have an inversion, yikes, uh, you know, Betty, Betty's non-tolerant cotton field is now smoked. And in fact, in the first year of, uh, that ICamba tolerant, uh, Trait being released, didn't somebody like kill their neighbor over that?
1: Yeah, or something yeah. Like they that.
3: did. There was a there was a case where he got so pissed that he literally went over and he killed his neighbor. And I get it. Yeah. Death. You, know, when you see, you no. Know, when you see your entire annual income curling up. And dropping its leaves, I honestly don't know what else to think. Because, how do you recover from that? How do you recover from that? It's hard, Ryan. I it's just go. Hard.
2: I just go online and look for dicamba-resistant Arden fifteen to overseed with. and Start over. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs>
4: Zinger. <laughs> <Hi-ya. Yeah. Ow. laughs> somebody
2: hey look at the look at the search uh search uh results here coming up right it's gonna be trending on google by the end
0: i resistant Arden 15 discovered in georgia
3: daggum
4: they did it <laughs> Yep.
3: What? <laughs> that's how they say it down there in georgia can... yeah but then here's what the mean for us in the turf industry. In fact, it already happened in a way because remember now, Bayer pulled dicamba from their Celsius formulation. And I think that was in response to the upcoming pressure on dicamba period. And the other place where I see this happening is I can imagine a day when your battleship or your momentum or even your speed zone doesn't have dicamba in it anymore, I can imagine. Oh, I believe but... it. But I think ahead, that's Ryan. the first.
2: I think that's the first leg that they'll chop out. Right? That they'll they'll start there and work their way mm-hmm. up to kind of the you know the top of the pyramid, which is you know what you were talking about before with. Straight dye canvas spraying, you know, at the ag level, so you'll you'll see this just the same as you have with everything else is this erosion right of that registration until there's basically nothing left, and at least in turf, and it just goes away.
3: So it just goes, and uh, there's that new technology that I know Dal Cortiva is working on, but Dal Cortiva runs the risk. Of making another imprellis because hey, it works that no that that broadleaf herbicide technology is highly active and relatively persistent in soil, and I'm talking about that uh haloxifen you know technology
0: H- H- yeah haloxifen methyl
3: yeah yeah hal- haloxifen you know- methyl bit.
0: If if nobody's watched, uh, it's it's kind of interesting to hear uh there's a a show on YouTube called The Podfather, and uh there it's a spin-off of Corn Wars. Um shout out to Chris Elms for turning me on to that because I, I I love watching it. Um but the the Podfathers is all about their their high yield soybean gas, right? And uh, one of them was talking about not going out with uh dicamba not spraying dicamba because of still some lingering issues maybe and he didn't want to make anybody around him angry and i thought that Mm -hmm. was pretty interesting that you know we got a guy right here in arkansas which is you know the heart of uh uh, you know i think that's where it really kicked off the whole issues with dicamba in general started in arkansas if i recall correctly and uh and Mm -hmm. they they were like yeah I I would think we're going to forego a little deck camber
1: spraying right now. Yeah, well, so much for the pod fathers.
3: Yeah, because the uh, here's my, you know, here's my impression of it is that, net, how do you control spray drift when your application parameters are five to ten gallons per acre? And your rig is running at such a high speed.
1: Yeah, you you can't. It's how do it's you, how do you keep possible. that on
3: the ground? How do you keep that on the ground? Because I know for myself that is like the main reason why I shy away from anything under the half a gallon per thousand square foot. That's my exact reason for not going under that because. I don't want to be that person that in and I can, but the entire neighborhood.
0: Well, maybe, maybe one day if there's a technology that that allows us to bring, you know, the bulk density of these solutions up to, you know, 30, 40 pounds a gallon kind of sort of thing and, and help eliminate that. But until then, you know, we're just kind of at the mercy of what we can do with uh, our tool selection. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Physics, well, physics. before we
0: before we move on to this week's Burns, we're gonna tap into this week's sponsors. We've got two sponsors this week. Number one is going to be Field Source Ohio. Mr. DeMay, just give it give us some highlights right here. Just a quick throat punch to get people coughing and hacking so they understand the importance of what it means to be aligned with a consultant like Field Source Ohio.
2: Well, I want to know if you want to do it right, right? Got to do it right from the start because number one, we can do a lot of work out there in a construction site in the span of a few weeks. It'll cause, you know, years and years of delay. And so, uh, you know, the thing we always like to say with field sources, if we do better, everybody else will do better, right? Your kids, your uh, coaches, your athletic directors, your superintendents, your park directors, your mayors, elected officials, all that good stuff. And so, you know, we just want to give everybody the number one best playing surface that they can possibly get using science based, evidence based, research backed protocols, programs, right? To get that all done. So, with that, I'm just going to say if you haven't checked out Field Source Ohio, go check us out www.fieldsourceohio.com. Check us out on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, science. Uh, also on uh, the Twitter machine there at Field Ohio. And uh, check out our most recent projects.
0: And we also have Subvert Nutritionals, Subvert Nutritionals, a division of Renovo. Now that is official. Thanks to uh, thanks to our our lawyer out there, Lee. What's up, Lee? For getting this taken care of. Uh, Subvert Nutritionals is going to be a line of liquid fertilizers that's going to range everything from our root-promoting peptides to just traditional inputs that you may use out there and then a couple of pre-formulated blends if you don't feel like being a mad chemist and lining everything up yourself. Uh, Beyond that, we also have a line of uh, nutrition for cannabis and hemp. and If you're interested in learning more about that, you can head on over to the contact page, uh, subvertmpk.com. And uh, reach out and someone with our company will be able to help you out with whatever your grow project may be. Indoor, outdoor, container, hydroponic, you name it, we cover it. Gentlemen, let's check out this week's birds.
1: Sheila. Sheila,
0: Sheila, that was not part of the Utah conversation we were having earlier. I'll tell you that right now. That is
2: not number one in
1: Utah.
3: <laughs> no, I told you. I hope. <laughs> I'm telling you,
4: you screaming again? in a
0: towel, and it's this old man who is going to jail uh for pouring weed killer on a golf green at night. I'd say when he gets to prison, he'll be chewing all on that towel, as a matter of fact. A man was arrested after cameras caught him wearing a mask and pouring weed killer on a green at a golf club where he'd been banned. And as a matter of fact... Uh <laughs> we'll just read through the, the headline here. Uh, Glenn Newton, 55, attempted to get revenge on a golf club that banned uh, that had banned him by vandalizing one of the greens in the middle of the night. Newton had been kicked off the Woolley Park Golf Club in Wakeville, West Yorkshire, in 2020 after having issues with the club's owners, according to testimony given and video presented in Leeds Crown Court. Newton, wearing a mask, was caught both on camera as well as by a groundskeeper, John Robottom, dousing the green on the third hole with liquid glyphosate. When confronted while committing the act after and spotted him on a security camera, the disgruntled golfer attempted to flee but slipped and fell into the path of the groundskeeper's vehicle. From there, Robotum chased Newton down on foot, removed his mask a la Scooby-Dooby-Doo, all while filming everything with his camera phone. He had been a member with us for six or seven years, and he was a giant angry bully, uh, said Philip Robotum. Turns out he had been doing it for a while. Uh, there had been multiple attacks against the green. If you slow down, J Pink, you will see a an image of uh of the the golf green there with its damage. There you go, right there in the center. There you can see where old oh boy had it in a water can and just went willy nilly on this. Well, the courts did not like it, and believe it or not, they said, "Guess what? Guess what? You're going to jail." For three uh-huh. months in order to pay a ten yep. thousand pound compensation.
1: Thank you, sir. You may F off.
3: Just 10,000, uh, ah, that makes me feel 10, good. 000. Just ten thousand? Oh, I mean that's uh, that's small money because let me translate that to you. That is only twenty thousand US dollars. That's it's, only about I just 000, did the math. Thir- thir-
2: Thirteen thousand five hundred thirty-six. It's still the dollar yeah, strong is, right sweet. now, boys. The dollar's strong.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'm just saying that for you know, killing golf greens. That is just like getting off easy. I mean, that's just getting off easy. I mean, uh, well, Ray in know, prison,
2: he's going to get off pretty easy too. I mean, it. It. You know, well, for several minutes. Maybe I mean how how long are you allowed to be in the showers these days in minimum security?
3: Not sure. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, I'm just. uh, I'm just seeing. I broke Ray. I did it.
0: (laughs) He ran out of words. Ray was like, "I don't know where to go from here." As a matter of fact.
3: Yeah, yeah, because. Remember, now, I, 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 I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm innocent. So it's like, I, I... hey, but then you, anyway, you, hey,
2: you keep playing the victim with Sheila. We get it. Go on, go on. <laughs>
3: but that is just small money for the kind of damage that that person created. And uh, my goodness, how lenient! Because I call that felony criminal property damage okay that's what i call it because uh what does bent sod go for
2: oh over there i have no idea
3: i have no idea a lot of no a shit ton of money and besides that how long is are those greens going to be out of play while they fix his uh you know drawing dicks in the green with a, a can of glyphosate you know it's going to be a while. I mean, those greens are going to be out of play for quite a while. So, you
1: know what? Go back to that Mr. picture Newton, real quick, Japing. Keep going. It was. It was. What about him? What do you want was to tell him? One of the silliest
2: damn. I mean, you, you, look 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 at this. What, look at this. What do you want to tell him, Ray? What do you want to tell him, Mister Newton? You know what? Give it to him.
3: You know what? You know what, Mister Newton. Uh, you just are like top 10 assholes of the year. I mean, I'll put them up there and yeah, yeah. You're just one of the top 10.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, this is every, this is every greenskeeper's dreams to catch somebody doing this. Right. And, uh, that's the mm-hmm. best part. I
4: mean,
3: I mean, yeah, stu- uh, <laughs> Fool got caught and uh, well, because see- he kept
2: going back
1: like an idiot, right? He, he this, that's the
2: thing. Yeah. This guy's like a serial killer. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough of a rush from the first three times, right? Professor thought, you know what? Wait, how? Well, I don't know. I can't do a a hick English accent, you know. But uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume he's like an old boy. I'm gonna go back there. I'm gonna get him again, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, that's what did him in, Ray. That's what did him in. But you know what? I can't imagine how much restraint it probably took from that greenskeeper to not just take care run of his, it right ass, there. Over.
3: Just him. his ass, ass over, not kill
4: his ass over, and then...
2: not 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 anything like yeah. that. But you know,
4: yeah. wait a and few minutes. Now,
3: run Chuck his ass over Chuck. and and plant and plant him under a tree.
1: With that, speaking of planting (laughs)
0: being planted under a tree, uh, this next topic here we're going to be a better gardener reading and beating the weeds without toxins. And I want to go ahead and preface this real quick. If you'll see, this is uh uh, scripted here by Thomas Christopher, and you can learn more about him at thomaschristophergardens.com. And I'll highlight for you Uh, he is a graduate of the New York Botanical Gardens School of Professional Horticulture, and he is uh, 100% a gigantic fanboy of Paul Tukey. And if you don't know who Paul Tukey is, welcome to the wormhole of wormholes of just absolute organic. We'll start off here. Weeds, those aggressive, irre- irrepressible pests, are the most persistent and annoying problem of lawn care. Surely that's why Paul Tukey in his classic guide, The Organic Lawn Care Manual, Labeled his organic method for their management with the with the acronym RILE: Relax, Identify, Listen, and Eradicate. We control as a matter of chemical warfare for the typical home greenskeeper, or uh, uh, of spreading large sacks of toxic mis- mis- materials across the lung. Lo- My heart rate is increasing. My blood pressure is increasing right here, and uh, and the reason. And he goes into further of taking you through. Um, exactly how to implement Paul uh Ryle acronym here. And it begins with RELAX. If you have less than 10% of weeds, don't even worry about it. You're good. That's as good as you can possibly get. Uh, and then he moves all the way through to eradicate. And for instance, one of his methodologies for eradicate is Research at Cornell University has found that a series of overseeding treatments applied in late summer and early fall is very effective in thickening lawns and reducing the opportunity for annual weeds such as crabgrass the following year. To follow this herbicide free treatment, spread fast growing perennial ryegrass seed (coughs) over your lawn with an ordinary drop rotor or rotary spreader at a rate of three pounds per thousand square feet. Repeat this process at two to three week intervals three times, and by late October, you should have a thick lawn which will be quite weed repellent the following spring. When weeds are ordinary, will ordinarily start to invade. Ray, uh, 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 Ray, I know how you feel about this, but Ryan specifically—I know these names like Paul Tukey have come up in conversation before. You know, what kind of, what kind of emotion are we listening out of you right now? How do you feel? Tell me.
2: How do I? How do I feel? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh. Confused is usually when when I hear these guys. It's it, it's not that I think you know, I, I get mad or get upset or anything like that. I, I, usually that comes later, but it's typically the fact that what they're saying. And if you really know like what they're advocating for, not necessarily their position, but like the practices right to get there, it would be. It, you know, here's what it would be like. It would be like saying. Well, you know, because you have pancreatic cancer, and this is a terrible analogy to use, but I'm just going to use it. I don't care. You have pancreatic cancer. If you ate a all vegetable, all natural diet, that should help. That should help fix things, right? Like it's just it's it's something that if you were you know even a a person of common sense or a person of science, like you'd be like, wait. I mean that might help, and I'm not discounting that'll it help. But that's not gonna fix the issue at hand, right? And so, you know, here with Mr. Tukey's, you know, overseeding methods, and I think, I think something like that is it gonna help? It's not gonna hurt, but is it going down the right path? And what are we gonna really get out of it? And is that really going to uh, address the issue at hand? Number one and number two is it going to create other issues further on down the line? And I don't think that they think about that. I think they think just in terms of what's right here, what's right now. And yeah, there's a whole show we could do on sort of the, um, the touring act of these fellows and gals that go around and do all this stuff around the country. It's an, it's just interesting bunch for sure.
0: I, had to, I hadn't talked about it yet, but one of my favorite part of this articles here is when he Gave the soil quality to uh, um, uh, weed uh, types of weeds you'll experience correlation here, right? That if you have compacted soil, that means that's why you have crabgrass, right? Crabgrass is a symptom of compacted soil or dandelions. Dandelions are a symptom of low calcium, uh, low pH soils, right? Because certainly everybody that's in Indianapolis uh, that has incredibly high pHs and high calcium soils that deals with just huge influxes of dandelions should be out there spreading lime, right? Which would be the generalized (laughs) recommendation according to this article here and this guy, and remember this guy who's making these generalized recommendations, this is not a nobody gentlemen. He graduated from the New York Botanical Garden School of Professional Horticulture.
2: Again, Hang it's, on. Th- this is the kind of stuff. Though hey, he drops pH, he drop they drop these terms right to make th- to make them sound like an authority. Does this sound familiar? By the way, does this sound familiar? Yes. Somebody yes, trying yes, to it does. establish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody trying to establish oh, themselves in an authority that's not and making recommendations that may or may not be a little bit dubious. Hmm. Mm, yes. Okay. If only if, if only Paul would make a YouTube channel. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> would well, be
3: something? Here's my. Here's my, uh, you know, here's my question now. New York uh, Botanical Garden. uh, How much fine turf does a botanical garden have? And next question is, what is their budget for maintaining that turf? Because do you know what really burns my butt about these
1: Gardener types talking about turf.
3: None of these bastards have ever had to maintain areas of fine turf under budget and on time. Okay? They haven't had to because they always have the out of let's throw an entire crew of labor to clean up a mess. Let's, uh, you know, top dress it with, you know, tons and tons of compost at high expense. I mean, they just have money and labor coming out of their ears that they don't know what to do with. They're under no pressure to where, ah, no, Ray, you are not going to top dress this lawn with compost four times a year because... That's going to be too expensive for one thing. Not happening. Oh boy, this—he's
0: just another cog in the wheel uh, in, of the uh, the war against lawns, right? Which is what I'm going to dub, you know, similar to the war against Christmas. I think was something that was in the news a while ago. Uh, we're going to hashtag the mm-hmm. yeah. war against lawns here uh, because of you know we've gone through it—the Google search results before—and he just wants to play his part and capitalize on it and. I'm sure the New York Botanical Garden School of Professional Horticulture is, is a wonderful program. I'm sure it's absolutely fabulous, stunning, life-changing experience for him. Uh, but what I can promise you is that your recommendations here on creating a, a, a lovely, lovely lawn are complete and total garbage. It's worthless. It's not even worthwhile exploring. The only thing to gain out of exploring this is... One hundred percent, not what to do when attempting to manage a high quality lawn or turf grass environment. Uh, I think I think you were you were much kinder in your uh, uh, approach to this domain than I am. I think this guy uh, should be. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I, I, I think you should not have a voice in this type of scenario. How about that? He's um, a lawn expert. All- if you search him. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> he is, and I think there's a lot of content there for the show after the show. But Paul Tukey and and his minions, I can't. Oh. <laughs> Here's another great one coming out of New York. New York Assembly considers limiting a pesticide linked to bee deaths. Here we go, boys. It's something we've never heard before. Guess what? Neonicotinoids are are in front of the New York State Assembly. they held a hearing on whether the state should strictly limit the use of a chemical and pesticides linked to the die off of honeybees and population declines of other insects and birds. It was, I love this. The assembly environmental committee chair, Steve Engelbright said that neonics are a systemic poison and have created a second silent spring, a reference to the uh, seminal book by Rachel Carlson. Rachel Carson nearly 60 years ago that led to the banning of the pesticide DDT. The neonicotinoids are even more toxic and are at, l- at least as dangerous and we haven't really addressed this. Neonics are exceptionally what? insect toxic. Yes. That is where we're going with this. And then they even had the nerve and this is where it just it goes from how do we go from dumb to dumber to dumbest in this conversation, in this article? How can we take it one step further? Here we go. Rachel, another environmentalist who testified, cite data that links the presence of the chemical to an association with autism in children. Studies estimate that half of all Americans have some level of
1: neonicotinoid pesticides in their bodies. Listen, I am 100% all for
0: figuring out ways to do things differently. And if they work, they work, and we can incorporate them
1: 100%.
0: But to pull shit out of thin air, to make this as charged, as emotionally charged as we possibly can, and to quote this as a Rachel Carson uh, type of expose,
1: is complete and total
0: horseshit. This is complete and total horseshit. If this was a balanced... Looked at both sides of the article. Ray, you've brought it up before. And to quote you, let's look at Australia. Why is Australia yeah, not suffering from the same issues that but that we are? And they're not limiting not, the use of neonicotinoids.
3: They're not. And, and in fact, uh, Matt, if this these people want to bring up Silent Spring, uh, I don't know if you guys need earmuffs, but guess what I used to do in the 1990s that I know just was like so bad for the bees and the beneficial insects. Guess what I used to do in the 1990s? What?
4: <laughs> to, oh, treat
3: the kind of, you know, to treat the kind of pests that a systemic application of a neonicotinoid does now, I used to be spraying up into trees with carbaryl or diazinon or malathion. I used to do that and you know there's something about carbaryl where that is the most destructive and toxic pesticide I can think of regarding bees because if you want to wipe out a hornet nest, here's how you do it puff a little seven dust into that hornet nest. bye-bye bye-bye hornets they just die from it i mean carbaryl for example is terrible yet on the other hand i and many of the other landscape people have you know embraced you know systemic applications of new nicotinoids and we don't have the decline here we we don't see it we just don't see it because Instead of, you know, instead of doing what they used to do back in the 1990s, which is, yep, yeah, spray, you know, carbaryl 4L up the trees and on the shrubs, they, you know, are a lot more selective nowadays. We're, we're doing, you know, imidacloprid drenches or soil injections, which, by the way, when you apply a neonicotinoid to... The soil, as long as you are not contaminating foliage or flowers, exposure to bees is extremely limited by that application. On the other hand, I catch somebody foliar spraying a neonicotinoid. And by the way, you know what this in this article, there's something that I caught. Their proposed restrictions. And making an application of a neonicotinoid strictly a reactive application rather than a preventative or proactive application, yeah, a prophylactic application would always, always call for someone making a foliar application of a neonic rather than a soil applied application. And guess what is even more hazardous to bees than a, than a soil based application?
1: foliar there's a
4: there's a
1: lot
0: there's a lot here and it started me down the research wormhole and we can't get into all of it today um because there's there's so much here that uh this particular group cited as fact and um boy as you start dialing into these it gets it gets real loosey-goosey in redefining the term fact, that's for sure.
2: Well, here's the the key thing in that whole article, Ray, that I found interesting, right, was that they cited data. I go out and cite all the data I want, right, and cherry pick and show you X did Mm Y, A did B, right? In -hmm. this case, right, I think we're looking at... Another situation where, hey, it's got to be the chemical's fault, right? It's got to be the chemical's fault. And, you know, I hate to get on this show every week and sound like we're, we're apologists, right? But I think it's more, not necessarily for the chemistry. It's more so for, hey, these are the tools that we have. And you have to understand what these tools, right, are holding up in terms of, you know, not just horticulture and the stuff that looks pretty that we take care of, but, you know, Legitimately, food production, right, and other crop Absolutely. production that takes place in this country, and, the, and the economy that that this sport supports, like, it's not just you take this away and everything goes away and everything's all hunky dory. Uh, there's there's some things that need to be thought out, but I agree with Matt that if you really dive deep into the research, and it's probably been about oh, year and a half, two years since I really looked at you know, and I have no idea what's been out since. But I think that would be fun. I think that would be a good one to, to unpack as a group, right? Maybe we can cite some data.
0: Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. I, I bring this back that if they were to talk about, you, you know, these inane correlations that take place, right? And it, it reminds me, if if anybody remembers when uh, the articles that were coming out about uh, glyphosate is in your breakfast. Do you remember all those those headlines? Uh, mm-hmm. that, that were mm-hmm. on. And it was a group called the EWG. And what they did was uh, they took the EPA's uh, guidance for what they allowed as uh, an, an allowable level of glyphosate to be in plants. And then they rewrote their own certification, which was like a thousand times less. It went from like a certain amount of part per million to a certain amount of part per billion of what they deemed as safe. And then they published these articles that oh my God, all these foods out here have highly toxic levels of glyphosate. Well, that's according to their definition, not to the EPA's definition. It's the definition that they completely made up, pulled out of thin air with no scientific backing for how they determined that part per billion being safe. It, it's 100% made up just because it felt good and it turned this, these particular articles into something that would garner a lot of attention and a lot of traffic and a lot of conversation and a lot of social credit score, right? And uh, and so and that's that's kind of in the vein where this starts to lie when they when they're talking about presenting data. No, they're not. They're not presenting data. They're taking studies that currently exist manipulating the test parameters to be able to show correlations that may or may not actually exist, but it fits the narrative that they're putting before uh, New York here. And like I said, that would require an entire show to unpack all of that, but at least two of the topics they bring up here, I've researched and there's actually contradicting information that shows that the tests that were conducted to draw that correlation was conducted uh, inappropriately and thus why it was it did not make peer review published. So I'll kind of, I'll kind of leave it at that for right now.
3: Absolutely. Um, We
0: are, we are over time on this. Let's move on to this week's returns. (laughs) I love this because right now we are going to meet the future wives of Ray Ito from the Sheet. Texas Lawn Mower Racing League.
3: <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Ray, this is where we are going to go play speed dating with you, and, uh, and I've got a feeling you're going to walk away a, polyg- a polygamous man. Uh, it's no secret that certain folks in this world <laughs> have fully adopted the concept of lawnmower racing, but no one is going at it quite like the, lawn star, the Lone Star Mower Racing Association. The LSMRA was recently featured in Texas Monthly, since it's perhaps only a Texas organization, and it's entirely badass. This organization is composed of men and women whose cruise around the state's finest dirt tracks at 35 to 40 miles an hour. Not exactly as fast as, say, a stock car, but faster than you really want to be going behind the wheel of a lawnmower. And they give a little excerpt here. I'll let you go and read the article itself since it's a good one. There are some women that have been competing on dirt tracks all of their lives. Some work with their hands. Others operate bulldozers, yet others are stay-at-home moms. But you know what? They get out there, and they race these damn lawnmowers. Gentlemen, week after week, we continue coming back to the topic that is saving lives, inspiring children, and women all across America to be more participatory in the fine art of lawnmower racing. This is something I cannot get enough of in my life. I
1: love these people, near and dear. I kind of want to
2: know, like, what the best stock lawnmower is for this. Like, I really want to dive deep into, like, the. I was, I, I, I was really into cars for a long time. So, I kind of want to know, Ray, like, what do you, what's like
4: the Lingenfelter Corvette, Ideals.
2: the Lingen Filter Corvette of lawnmower, Ray, like power to weight ratios, like all that stuff. I, I really want to know all about this stuff. We got to dive yeah, deep. Yeah. Like,
3: is it, a, yeah, is it, a, is it a John Deere? Is it a Hustler? Is it, uh, it's Kubota, you know, a Toro? Or is, yeah, what What the heck is it? Because, uh, you know, I'm going Japanese, to be honest,
0: Kubota, all day long. Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I, I want to see? Know, I want to see the zero turn class. That's what's got to come next. I want to see the zero turns get all. I'm going to throw a curveball if you're going to go.
3: If you're going to go JDM, Iseki or Aranis. Do they? <laughs> do they, have a, do they have
4: a
2: lawnmower tractor? I'm going to look it
3: up. Oh. Actually, they 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 got the uh, they got rough area rotaries. Aranis makes rough area rotaries. And oh, I look think, this guy! Uh, and I think Iseki makes uh makes lawn tractor type equipment too. Mid-note.
2: Oh yeah, here you oh, go. Yeah, look at
4: these the, right. yeah.
1: Yeah. the
2: GM Yeah, oh, the GM seventeen hundred. Look at the. That's what yeah, I'm talking Baroness about. This is... <laughs> here, I'll throw this to J J-Pank a nice here at... real quick. Yeah, well, yeah, we got Those, those are radio like radio vision. That was a yeah, uh, no, nice be, looking that, that sounded like a Minnesota nice looking right there.
3: No, that's a that's <laughs> a true you see I've always maintained that to me a Baroness is like the Lexus of lawnmowers and turf equipment.
2: Oh, that's better than that's better than a Lexus. I'm going to say that's more like a Maserati okay. Rolls-Royce no, like if, Look, look no, at this if thing! We're gonna, if we're look at this keep, thing, Ray.
3: If, yeah, no. If we're going to keep it, keep it JDM, I keep on bringing up this car called the Toyota Century. And the Toyota Century is literally a two hundred thousand dollar hand built Toyota, and the only people that ride around in it are the Japanese royalty. <laughs>
2: I'm I'm gonna find out more about this thing because I know a baroness dealer here. I want to find mm, out more. Look at yeah. how low! Look how low! Look how low it is! Look at the center of gravity; it's it real is? low on this thing. The
0: profile on that, yeah. was just... Oh my goodness!
2: Look at, at this guy! Look at just, this hillside! This is not leaning a little bit. He's leaning a little bit. He was he was he's, a little he, he's leaning he's so a bit.
0: hard he's wearing a helmet.
2: I think that's a. In some places, that's a thing. You got to wear a helmet. Everywhere you I go I was, on the golf course. I was trying to make it sound crazy. Now we got black and this. white. Look at this. Can we get a sepia tone on this, too? You know, just to, My goodness.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a that, that's...
2: Hey,
0: <laughs> I would be puckered like you wouldn't believe on that hillside right there. There's no doubt about it. I'd be nervous. I, okay, so
2: look at that. Okay, so like heights, like even that would freak you out. I know you're against heights or don't like heights, but the hillside would... I don't like hills. I don't like hills, Ryan. Hills. I
3: I don't like hills. hills. No, I don't enjoy hills because uh, I've been on some hills and it's all cool if you're not in a fall protection harness, clamped to the fence or a tree, and you start slipping.
2: She's they're running a Kubota engine there. What are we looking at here? Two wheel drive, so it'll go in uh, four wheel. Allegedly, it's hydrostat. It'll go up to five miles an hour stock. So we can change out those wheel motors, and I think we got some.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah we are can some stuff
2: here. Yeah, wait, twenty we'll by take 20, that bad boy twenty-one by eleven right on tires me. though. This could be yeah. This could be the That's torque. Traction, I think this sorry. might be. Your dragster. That's what we need to <laughs> do. <in here. MS laughs> would sponsor
0: a race team for the Long World Racing League? That's the conversation we need to have. I'm not, I'm not a driver. I'll tell you that right now. I've totaled way too many cars. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the Honda Pilot just made number eight, I believe, in my arsenal. Rest in peace, Honda Pilot. I loved you. Oh,
3: no, um, man. That, that's, so that's gone bye-bye. I, I yeah, think you should that, walk that around in a fire
2: up. suit at all time. That's what you should do. Just I should. Walk around I, the fire I, suit. I, I yeah, enjoy. just in case.
0: Speaking of burning things down and growing them back for the better, we have a Western innovator, <laughs> researcher in his dream team build <laughs> better turf grass. Remember who we were talking about with Clint Maddox and uh Alec Kolowski? Kowalewski? Kowalowski? Kawalewski?
2: Kowalewski. Kowalewski. Yep. yet yeah,
0: the uh the pol I told you I'm not good with Polish names. Turns know. out he has assembled a team of, of PhD researchers. And again, right here out of Oregon state, go beavers that are pioneering new turf grass. Mm, I'll say everything from, uh, management techniques to, uh, chasing down high performance cultivars, uh, and so anyway, let me just kind of read through here. Uh, Kowaleski leads a dream team of PhD researchers who are exploring how to grow turf grass with less water, testing which cultivars are disease resistant, experimenting with fungicide alternatives, irrigating with wastewater, documenting which varieties are safest for livestock consumption, and exploring how management practices can impact carbon sequestration. I'm very proud of the team I have. It's truly a world class team, said Kowaleski. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting here that they had was, and this is what I wanted to learn more about. Is that the project uses a carbon capturing device that tracks how much carbon plants absorb while photosynthesizing, and explores how management practices impact carbon storage. One of the most unknown uh, uh, advantages of, of plants that I of, of turf grasses that I feel is not talked about enough and should be, and it might be out of fear of just unknowing. Um, it is the carbon sequestration rate and the photosynthetic efficiency of turf grasses, right? Um, You're talking about a significant amount of leaf surface area that can photosynthesize and uh, take our atmospheric carbon dioxide and convert it into useful energy within the plant and ultimately store a lot of that back in the ground as, well, soil organic carbon, right? We have one of the most efficient uh, 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 carbon uh, uh, CO2 mitigators at our disposal. And it's being talked about and regarded in our space, in our environment, as a detriment, as a total detriment. We need to get rid of them. Get rid of lawns. They're a disgrace. They're toxic cesspools. They're eliminating bees. They're eliminating insects. Whoever's planting a lawn is a selfly, uh, a selfish asshole. Uh, and that is the neighbor you need to point at and, and go throw glyphosate in his lawn to make sure he never, well, don't do that. Uh, throw uh, throw salt and vinegar in his yard to make sure he never has the opportunity to grow grass again. Again, just Google lawns in America and read the top search results that you get out of it. It's the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen. However, however, thank you, Oregon State and the beef team that uh, Kalaski is, <laughs> never going to say it right, uh, that Alec has put together here, is showing and quantifying, quantifying the carbon sequestration rate of these plants, and that—that that right there is groundbreaking, earth-shattering, in my opinion, towards the reshaping, redevelopment, and re-defining uh, 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 the importance of turf grass in America.
1: These guys, okay. freaking get it. They—they
3: no, they totally get it because I. I see the side effect from this push towards synthetic turf and non-turf-based ground covers. And you know what one of the initial effects of that kind of a landscape is, Matt, is you turn urban areas into what's called heat islands. And you know what a heat island is? A heat island is a place where, due to your ground cover and other microclimate type factors, it is hotter than surrounding areas. And one of the big comparisons would be an area that is composed of actual green, maintained, and irrigated turf grass versus an area that's composed of something else. And oh, by the way, guys. Guess how I can tell if a turf area is not getting enough water? Guess how I can tell?
1: I, do, I feel like there's a trick in here. Yeah, where where are you going with this, Ray?
3: Okay, the way Melting I can grass? tell. No. Wind steps? The, no, the way I can tell is that I feel the heat coming off of the area. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's hot. It feels hot. I mean, versus if the grass is properly irrigated, then I don't feel that temperature differential.
1: You know, because I I literally can detect a couple degrees difference in temperature.
2: I I think what you're finding though is that at Oregon State and several other places here around the country now that, you know, we had this discussion about Turf Truth last week and all this is that there are places that are investing, right, into the people that are going to bring about not just change and all that kind of stuff, but just furthering the science and the discipline, right? And that is the most important thing that we could possibly invest in at this point in Turf. You know, you're like I said before. You're leaving a vacuum. Without doing that, you're leaving a vacuum for people like Mr. Tukey and some of our other um, YouTube and Facebook experts aims. to to, to yes. step into that void and fill it with whatever they want. I mean, legitimately, buy like my we, Yeah, by my not even by my shit, but just by my argument, right? My emotionally heartstring tugging argument that is going to change the mind of people who really probably are either not informed, misinformed, or are like, yeah, I never had an opinion on that. But now that you put it like that, I'm kind of pissed off and I don't like lawns. And that's. Yeah, no, I don't like trash Yeah. And, and so this type of influence, you know, it needs to be stemmed. And I think the only way you're going to stem it is through good information coming from very, very smart people continue to ask the question well why and go find the answer and so that's what it's going to be at the grassroots level pun intended completely uh, for consumers and professionals alike but those folks need oh yeah absolutely Uh, yeah Um, but also from the university researchers that are going to give them the information that they need and be able to study this stuff in more detail so eat shit Paul sorry i had to say it
0: good 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 work from the beef team there uh in oregon state and uh, i really yeah man the beef team will save the planet there's no doubt about it um so keep those <laughs> names in the list of of positive voices in the turf grass industry right now the ones we continue to bring up over and over again uh add to that uh, uh clint maddox and uh emily braithwaite and alec and all his whole team here just absolutely killing it and man i'm so proud that these guys represent the turf grass industry because uh we need we need more of them and we need people to think this way and hopefully they can continue to 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 receive the money necessary uh to, to keep doing the work they're doing in the in the areas that, uh, they're working right now um aside from that We'll go ahead and move on to the green team to follow up the beef team. And this is the making of New York's $150 million cannabis campus. And what I thought was particularly special about this, we'll get into. About 60 miles north of Manhattan at the foothills of the Ramapo Mountains, uh, past a few cow pasture stands the red brick buildings of the old mid-orange correctional facility in Warwick, New York. That was back in 2011. Uh, 10 Years later, the 40 acres of what was penitentiary farmland is now the new home of Green Thumb Industries, one of the nation's largest cannabis companies, and it's a $150 million cultivation and manufacturing site. By 2023, GTI's cannabis campus will start producing tens of thousands of pounds of marijuana, millions of TH-infused gummies and vape cartridges to fill the shelves of its dispensaries throughout the empire state. Boys, we have ripped down a prison, and you know what we're going to put in its place? A damn That's weed farm. Part. What? That's the is best that not part like a damn
3: A damn grow facility. And you know what the irony is, Matt? What's that? Up until, up until I want to say a year or two ago, having anything to do with marijuana would probably have you end up in a facility like what they ripped down for at least 5 to 10 years, if not going no to doubt the Fed. If not going to the Fed. <laughs> no FID doubt about for it. it.
0: Yeah. And I, I love the market statistics here. Uh, right now, the top five markets in the United States and the economic impact, well, this is just the economy they, they contribute there, not even the economic impact. Uh, California is $4.6 billion. Colorado's $2.1 billion. Washington is $1.4 billion. Florida is $1.2 billion. Oregon is $1 billion. In four years, in four years, they're saying California will be a seven billion dollar industry New York will be a three point eight billion dollar cannabis industry It's amazing this is and 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 listen I'm all for individual freedoms i think I think that is something I have made absolute clear from day one since we've started doing this. I'm not a a marijuana or cannabis user in any way, shape or form. I don't like to slow down. That's not my thing. I don't have time to slow down. I'm 100 miles an hour from the day I wake from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. That's why I get mad at myself when I have too many uh, adult beverages. I don't like to go slow. My point is, is that under no circumstance whatsoever, should this continue to be federally legal, in my opinion, with the amount of economic influence it brings when we're talking about this kind of billions of dollars. And if this provides additional research dollars that can be funded back into agriculture in some form, shape, or fashion for new discoveries, new technologies, new entrepreneurs to be able to come out, apply their brains and discover new things related to plant technology.
1: Hell yeah, bring it on, bring it on. (laughs)
2: well-timed well-timed hey you know here here's my thing and i know that there's been a ton of of advancements in this side of it right but i also wonder the same things of what you're saying on the research side of a lot of places have not been able to do a ton of work on the research side a lot of this stuff has been Uh, industry research and industry backed um, to find out. But I'm really curious of once, you know, this comes off of federal regulation and it really gets opened up um, to wide scale, independent research, how fast and how far can we go? Right. That'll be the interesting thing to me with this particular crop. And so I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see what happens. Same thing, not a user, not a consumer but um horticulture is horticulture right growing plants is fun and if some people can take some joy out of it right whether it's a nicely mowed fairway want to raise uh fantastic lawns out there in hawaii or somebody rolling up and smoking what we're going to do whatever man you know we're just like the assistant movie theater manager we're just here to provide recreation and entertainment that's it
3: absolutely because you know i have to preface this with uh I have never partaken in my entire life, but you know agronomy is agronomy to me, so I would gladly you know support the industry as well. I gladly do it, and this is a plant that has an extremely high you know, lethal dose, in other words. You'd have to consume so much of it to even cause harm to yourself. And long before you get there, uh, I think feeling weirded out and sick would uh, deter you from even getting close to what would actually be harmful to you. So I, I, too, I am not in favor of, you know, making this federally illegal and oh by the way do you know what curtails just about all research regarding the medicinal and economic benefits of uh marijuana the fact that marijuana is considered a schedule one substance on the list of controlled substances and let me explain what a Schedule One substance is. Schedule One is even more restricted than cocaine or marijuana, or more morphine. And what that Schedule One designation means is that there are no economic, social, or medical benefits associated with that substance and furthermore schedule 1 denotes that there is a high potential for addiction that is what earns a substance a schedule 1 designation according to the dea and i'm not i'm not seeing in my logical brain how naturally occurring Marijuana ticks those boxes. Now we want to talk about the synthesized, uh, you know, cannabinoid, uh, you know, analogs, like uh, what is that stuff called? That bath salts or that stuff nicknamed spice where people. They're eating
0: people's faces. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's for dinner? Oh, I don't know. A half a gram of spice in my neighbor's jugular.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I have never seen anybody do anything that I would consider off or crazy after they smoked one. Okay, I've never seen anybody do anything particularly off or crazy. Never. You ever gnawed, gnawed a leg down to the fibula? If you
0: ain't done it, you need to try. Get you a couple toots of this spice in and just go to town there, cowboy.
2: Oh, so you get yeah, that, you get exactly. that, and you get down to canes, and the caniac is like maybe uh, a couple toes and maybe a few nipples or something like that, you know? With, with exactly. a sweet tea. washed down with a sweet tea. Exactly.
3: <laughs> and got title. that at piece.
0: A couple toes and a few nipples for dinner. That's got to be it. Yeah.
3: That's got to be it. Because, so I just don't see that. You know the the prohibition making any kind of sense because the actual prohibition against marijuana was based on racial and economic prejudices because didn't, for the longest didn't like time, them damn hippies. No, actually, A they bunch didn't of like hacky those- sack
0: granola eaten. Uh Birkenstock wearing long haired grateful dead listening
1: damn stinky hippies.
3: Exactly. No, actually long before that, Matt, it was Shout out John Borden. What's we, up, big dog? No, no, we <laughs> we don't you no know, we don't like them poor brown people from down below the below the border. That's where the prohibition came from.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it.
3: Because I'm going to tell you, if if the first people (laughs) to partake uh, of marijuana on a wide scale were actually the white, upper middle class counterculture people, the feds wouldn't have clamped down on marijuana like how they did. And here's my problem with laws. It's so hard for a bad law to get erased off the books. It's hard for a bad law to be erased off the books, guys. So that's why, you know, you're asking me in previous shows, have I ever known, for example, an instance where, like, when the EPA takes action against a pesticide, it gets unbanned? I've only known to have that, to see that happen one time and one time alone but other than that it seems like they ban it for one use case and then they keep on moving on to the next use cases and next thing you know it's all gone and it's not coming back
0: well, I didn't mean for this to turn into the great debate over marijuana legalization, but uh, it somehow we ended up there. But I did want to point out that I just thought that was an absolute, uh, a, a beautiful, beautiful stroke of repurposing what once was a prison, now a marijuana grow up. Uh, gentlemen, do we have anything else that y'all would like to add before we close out the show?
2: Is Cain still open? Oh, I see
1: Cain still open.
0: That's what I was saying. Caniag, the most poor. the most a, substandard uh, chicken tender in in all of Kentucky. Listen, <laughs> I've got to try one outside of Kentucky because I'm convinced everybody that keeps bringing up raising canes talks about the long lines there, how good it is. Everyone coincides. Everything you said, Ryan, is what I hear from everyone else. The only one I've ever had opportunity to eat at is in Owensboro, Kentucky, and so I shan't. Base my entire opinion of Raisin Canes against that one location.
3: There's one in Knoxville? Yeah.
0: What? <laughs> There's <laughs> one in Knoxville. There's a Raisin Canes here? J. Pink, sir. Com- Cumberland <laughs> Death.
3: We're, we're going. Oh, it's on campus? <laughs> we're <one> going. <laughs> Located in University of Tennessee.
4: Oh, I gotta
0: go inside. Oh, where is this? Is this in the student center or something? Oh man, it is. I'm not going there. Oh, wait, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's over there by Chipotle's. Okay. (laughs) I can do
4: this.
0: (laughs) I I don't don't want to go. Hang it. Listen, I don't want to be the 35 year old You don't still have your
2: student, you don't have your student ID still? No.
0: no, I don't want to be the 35-year-old guy going into the raisin Cane's on campus in the student center, high-fiving guys. i will be like, dude, are you Frank the Tank? I'll be like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, that was another lifetime ago.
3: Y'all got any port? You know what? You know what? I don't think I can safely set foot on the University of Hawaii campus anymore.
0: <laughs> because, of, because your nickname is Frank the Tank?
3: No. <laughs> It's because I'm known as the spray guy.
2: Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 granola
3: eaters will... Oh, the
2: lawn lawn boy. The
0: lawn boy. The lawn boy.
3: Yeah, no, no. The the granola eaters and the uh, organic uh, fruit grower groups are going to crucify me. I mean...
0: Lucky for you, Ray, you can take the same stance that I do and never have to step foot into another campus building again. All right, gentlemen, we're going to yep. wrap this up. Ray, Ryan, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all on Thursday. On Thursday, where we have extra special guests. We're bringing in one of the DIY guys. We've got Mr. Yard Envy is going to be on, and I'm super excited about that because... We're working with a blank slate here. We get to build this guy up, bring him down, and then build him back up again before it's all over with. So stick around for that. That's going to be a ton of fun working with someone who is a new entry into the market space. All right, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday. Take it easy.